Hey, left fielders, you know our partner TribeVest, the platform that makes it super easy, safe, and transparent to form a business and invest with partners. I'm in 12 tribes myself. Now, TribeVest is integrated with LFI even more. Every deal webinar has the option to join an open tribe. This means left fielders can invest at lower minimums compared to going directly with the sponsor. It's a great way to diversify and spread your risk. TribeVest handles all of the heavy lifting. All you have to do is join the open tribe. Subscribe to LFI emails and sign up for Clubhouse access to take advantage of deal webinars and open tribes. This is Chad Ackerman, the host of the LFI Spotlight podcast. As part of our growth here at Left Field Investors, the LFI Spotlight is moving to its own podcast feed. So if you'd like to continue to hear stories, tips, and receive advice, be sure to subscribe to the LFI Spotlight podcast today. We'll see you in the spotlight. Financial independence by itself is shallow, in my opinion, unless it comes with location independence and time independence. But location, time, and financial independence together create an independence of purpose that allows people to do whatever they want with their life and spend your time however, if it's your you know, charity or church or skiing or building or travel or raising your kids, whatever it may be. But that, you know, financial independence by itself, but if you're locked in one location and you have to spend so much time in front of a screen every day, that's not a nomad, right? So that's, anyway, that's the core value that we try to keep. The same way that you've developed an amazing culture with left field, that's our culture. That's our core value, and we try to put that ahead of, of everything else. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. This is Brian Burke from Praxis Capital, and you are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm really excited today to have Clint Harris with us. He is a professional real estate investor and handles capital raising and investor relations at Nomad Capital. He is the host of the Truly Passive Income podcast. Nomad is a self-storage operator, but what they do is they buy old big box retail buildings and convert them to self-storage. It's a really interesting business model. We uh, we met these guys, the, the Nomad team, at the Best Ever Conference and just really clicked, so I'm super excited. Clint, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it, man. Very happy to be here. Excited to connect with you guys again. This relationship has been really beneficial. I love what you're doing for your community and uh, happy to be a part of it as an infielder and, and as an operator as well. Well, we we uh, we appreciate both of those. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, our operators who are who are infielders and part of the community. We really appreciate that, and then also providing the uh, the the help and the resources you do to our community is is awesome. So the first question I always ask is, can you take us back? What's your journey? How did you get into finance to real estate, and then how did you become a syndicator out of that? Sure. So. First thing I will warn you about is I tend to be long-winded. So let me, you give me a signal if I need to cut off, and I'll tell you why. Um, because the, my journey through real estate investing, the good, the bad, and the ugly ha, has completely changed the velocity, especially the financial velocity of my life, the uh, amount of time that I get to spend with my wife and my two boys. I got a, a three-year-old and a two-month-old. Um, and so 
it wasn't always like that, but the last few years have really got me to the point where it's it's completely changed the output of what my, the rest of my time on earth is, is going to look like. So my my background is um, had a 16 year career in medical sales, selling and implanting pacemakers and defibrillators. And in that line of work, you typically are making pretty good income, um, but you don't have a lot of time. Without time, you, it's hard to get experience. I started off, I was, I'm from South Carolina. I had my 11 years of my career were in South Carolina, and I was buying um, single-family little brick homes in the post-2008 crash, 2010 to 2013. My wife and I picked up nine single-family homes. Um, they were not Section 8, but they were not much better. Um, and so, you know, on paper, it looks great. You got a property manager and you're going to make X amount of dollars for from each property. I'm going to make six to $8,000 per property. By the time I get a handful of them, I can buy one more a year, have to pay cash for them because you can't get a mortgage on a property that low. And like on paper, it, it looks great. This is, you know, 25, 26 year old me talking like 10 more years of this and I'm retired. $80,000 a year, I'm done. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, the reality is when you're in that asset class and you have one property, but one mortgage and you got a one one ratio between the sets of fixed overhead you have on the property and the, the rental income, uh, it cannibalizes. And every time somebody's moving out with that class of tenant, you know, a kid's bedroom door is kicked in or like, you know, the appliances are busted. It's, it's a very sad situation. So it took me years to learn that single family homes uh, and doing it part time is not the way to go. So fast forward, when things really changed for me, my wife and I took a promotion to move to Wilmington, North Carolina in 2017. Uh, again, same medical sales career, implanting pacemakers and defibrillators. Uh, and the question at that point, I'd learned enough through listening to podcasts in a new market at the beach with different asset classes. The question I had for myself was of the money that I had to spend. We'd done a couple house flips at, by, as well by then. Like the first one, I was supposed to make 30 grand and I made eight. The next one, I was supposed to make 40 grand and I made like 14. And then finally, right. we got one right and we uh, we did pretty well on it. We made around 85 on a live and flip right before we moved to the beach. So we had a little bit of money, but not much. Uh, and then it was, what's the highest and best use of my time and every dollar that I have to spend in a new asset class at the beach? And so what we opted in is we started buying small multifamily properties. We bought a duplex two blocks off the beach in Carolina Beach, North Carolina. We did a light renovation. We moved into one half that was a 3-2. We started renting out the other half, which is a 3-2 as a short-term rental, Airbnb. We did a little under 60 grand that first summer. So it paid for oh. the property, mortgage taxes, insurance, and obviously highly seasonal. But over a yearly average, we were getting paid 1,400 bucks a month to live there. And that was a light bulb moment for us. We're like, wow, okay, this, this works. And then um, we continue to scale a short-term rental portfolio from there. <laughs> So okay, well, I, I want to step back into the the nine single family homes. What made you? You know, you're you're working in, in a career. You're making good money in medical sales, and you decide, yeah, hey, I'm I'm going to go buy some some single family homes. I'm just curious how everyone gets their their start. You know, I was an accidental landlord. That's how I got into real estate. So, what made you say, let's go get some let's go get some rental properties? So I've always had a a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, to my detriment, most of the time, a lot of different failed ventures here and there, most of which were, were very time consuming for the limited time I was in them. But I, I really enjoyed my medical sales career. I loved it. And then the way that I was helping people and I realized that I was blessed to be in that position because there's a lot of people that don't feel that way about their job. But it was very demanding. And I also knew that it was, it was kind of a young man's game. Um, you're working nights, you're working weekends, you're on call and it's difficult. And I just had this core belief that I wasn't going to want to do it forever. 
and you know you don't wait until it starts raining to build Noah's Ark, right? You gotta that's something you gotta think ahead on. And so um, my idea was that like I would rather I would put myself in a position where as long as I love my job, that's great. The day that I don't feel like doing that job anymore is not the day to start planning ahead. I also had a pretty <laughs> early realization with watching what just happened with 2008. A lot of the cardiologists that I worked with had saved up retirement their whole lives. And then when the market corrected that half, that hard, a lot of them were about to retire and suddenly had to work another four, five, six years. And I just did the numbers and I was like, I think the ability to save our way to retirement for my generation, I'm 40 years old. So I think the ability to save my way to retirement has been taken away by a combination of bad fiscal policy and inflation. Um, I don't think paper assets are going to get it. I think my parents' generation and certainly my grandparents' generation could save their way to retirement. I fully believe that that's been taken away from us. And the sooner you realize that, it puts it puts the responsibility on your shoulders, right? I have the responsibility to try to create a pathway for myself, but at the same time, yeah, that stinks that that you know potentially happened depending on everybody's personal situation. But I also have more access to information and networking than yeah. any, than any time in history. Maybe not back when I was you know twenty three to twenty five, twenty six years old. I was you know renting out DVDs and CDs from the library trying to learn about real estate. But now, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years from there, we certainly have more opportunity. So that's why I did it is that I, I just even making decent income um, in, in attempting to save my way to retirement, I saw it get taken away from other people and I knew that it could get taken away from me too. Yeah, I, I love that. You can't save your way to retirement. I mean, that just sums up everything that had that made me feel that I needed to transfer from being a financial advisor to what I do now because you're 100% correct. So now I want to get into you're, you're owning Airbnbs on the beach, you're making good money, and then what, do you drive past the self-storage facility and say, hey, I'm going to do this instead? Or you see an empty Kmart and you're like, hey, here's an idea. How'd you get into the next step? So it's a little bit more dramatic than that. But um, <laughs> so I, my wife and I bought a duplex. After that, we were out of money. So I figured out, I thought I figured it out. I thought I invented this concept. Turns out people have been doing it for hundreds of years called arbitrage, where I couldn't afford to go buy any other properties. But I looked around, I found a ratty triplex. It was in a fantastic area, but really bad tenants in place in bad shape. And I cold called the owner. Uh, his name's Brian. He's a dear friend of mine now. We've been friends for years. The first time we were on the phone was for an hour. And basically I said, hey, you got bad tenants. This property, everybody, he'd been trying to sell it, couldn't sell it. And I was like, look, everybody thinks your property's overpriced. I think it's just underperforming. But if you'll get rid of those tenants, fix it up a little bit. I'll manage the renovation. We'll put in some mini splits, add a couple windows, some paint, LVP flooring. You can increase the rents, rent all three units to me. I'll stage it. If you let me operate it as short-term rentals and Airbnb, you get paid first. I get to keep the difference if there is any. And he agreed to it. And so he did increase the rents. But that first summer, I he deferred the rent for a couple months. I used an interest-free credit card that we paid off in three months to pay for all the furniture. Um, and because he deferred the rents, you know, at the end of two months, we had paid back the deferred rent and paid off the credit cards because we launched right at the beginning of summer. Um, we did $125,000 in gross rents that first year. My net was 54 after paying him and the cleaning fees and everything else. And at the yeah. end of the day on that deal, the money that I spent was $4.99 on whitepages.com to get his number. So <laughs> most of that is luck. That is not skill, but it, and it was connecting. I think the biggest thing about real estate is relationships and connecting. Yes, absolutely. So that, that was putting an extra 
50 grand in our pocket a year. Remember, we didn't have a mortgage. We're getting paid on top of that. So from there, we took that revenue. We went and bought a quadplex. Then we bought another quadplex. Then we went back and bought that triplex, converted it to a quadplex. So I'm fast forwarding a little bit here, but now we had 14 units. We built a house for ourselves and moved out of half the duplex, started renting that out. But so now we have 14 units. Um, and then a year or so later, that turned into a property management company with with partners. So we got a property management company. And all of a sudden, we got hit with four hurricanes in three years, two hurricanes at once. One of them, Hurricane Florence, was, was pretty nasty. And I just was looking up and I was like, all my stuff is on one island, Carolina Beach, North Carolina. It is not very big. And I had the realization of I'm willing to take higher risks at a younger age to generate significant cash flow. Because I know if something goes wrong, I have time to try to make up for it. But I have to make a, a pivot here, a hard pivot. Because if I've got, if one storm can wipe out not only my 14 properties, but a property management company with 75 listings and a golf cart rental company and a cleaning company that it kind of spun off into, I'm in trouble, significant trouble. So I started talking to the older, more intelligent, wiser, more experienced investors that I knew. And resoundingly, the people that had the highest level of success um, always came back to me with three things. It was uh, money. It was hard money lending and note lending and lending money to house flippers. It was mobile home parks and it was self-storage. Well, I didn't have any money or certainly not enough to be a hard money lender. Um, I had no interest in mobile home parks because I had I know the value out of single family homes. I'd made the transition to multifamily. And I understand that if you're doing a deal whether it's a single family home or a quadplex, it really takes up the same amount of your time, mental energy and capacity. So if you're going to take a bite, take the biggest bite that you can. I didn't yeah. want 60 single family properties and also way above my pay grade at that point in time. So that helped me pivot towards self-storage. So that was an active interest that I had. And then I knew some self-storage guys locally in our local real estate meetup who also happened to be buying hotels and need help and advice with short-term Rental strategy, I happen to have a property management company. So we networked on that, and that led to uh, partnering on our first Kmart conversion, which put me, I mean, think about where they are, right? These are big brick, empty retail buildings that have been around for decades, spread across the Southeast in different geography. It's, I want to diversify across asset class, geography, operator, and honestly, the fourth one is time. I want partners, different operators in different areas that are based upon different populations um, that are going to mature at different times. Yeah, that I mean, that that nailed it. That, that's exactly the philosophy we have at Left Field Investors, right? You need to diversify by, you know, those three main ones you said, asset, class, operator, and market. And then there's there's some other ways to do it as well. Time, like when, when things are going full cycle or what kind of mortgage they have. So I think diversification is is crucial. But so we're, we're starting to get into it, right? The the Kmart's into self-storage. It's it, asset class conversion, I think, is what, what, you, what you call mm. it. And we're seeing some of that in, in different places, right? People are doing it with, um, motels to apartments. People are are doing office buildings to condos in the downtown areas, and you're doing Kmart's and things like that into self storage facilities. So that you mentioned to me that that, that supercharged the value add, right? So can you talk about kind of what how you see asset class conversion and and how it does it do that that supercharge? So so I had I I had lived it previously, right? Because I was buying. 
quadplexes for pennies, not pennies on the dollar, but like that were, these are in rough, rough shape, right? So I was, we were raking needles out of the alleyways. Like this is a beach town that at one point in time was pretty rough, but it turned around. There were still remnants of these little multifamily properties that had some really, really bad tenants in them. So I could buy them for next to nothing because these people hadn't had a rent increase in 10, 12, 15 years. And I'm converting them, even if they're chain smoking inside. It takes a while, it takes some money, but we fix it up. When you fix it up and you make it really nice, and then we convert the asset class for, from a long-term rental property and the formula by which you value a long-term rental property, which is how it was sold, when you convert that to a short-term rental property, it all of a sudden it's 3.5 to 4x the, the gross right. revenue, right? And the net operating income shoots through the roof. So I'd seen the value of you know, buying it as one thing, converting it to something else. And all of a sudden the cash flow is, is monumental off of a property like that. So that was the lesson, right? And I think with real estate, whether you're dealing with single family homes, duplexes, whatever, the, the lessons are the same. A lot of times you just add a few more zeros to it. So what we look for is the same asset class conversion. If we or any other syndication go and buy a self-storage facility that's being mismanaged, then what we're trying is we're valuing an asset class as a self-storage facility, and then we're trying to increase the operations, right? Decrease the expenses, increase the net operating income, but the formula by which that asset is valued is the same. It's typically net operating income divided by the going cap rate of the marketer. It's a little bit market dependent, but that's the oversimplification. But it's the same formula. You're buying it at this asset formula. You're selling it at that asset formula. And in order to to get the value out of it, you increase the value 30 to 40% to get that money back out. You've got to sell it, right? Well, now you've got a job. You're a house flipper. And whether it's multifamily properties or mobile home parks or anything else, now it's, it's just a job, right? And you're trading time for money. And the day you stop working is the day you stop getting paid. The value, the things, same thing I learned with the asset class conversion, the way that it applies to self storage is we can buy an old big box retail building like a Kmart, we bought two of them in the last year for um, one was $1.4 million. Another one was $2.5 million. But the first one we bought, we put a couple, two and a half million into it or so. We're all in on the project for $4 million. And we bought it for less than the replacement cost. The replacement cost just to build that shell. It's 87,500 square feet. To build the shell with the current cost of construction was $6.5 million. So here's, wow. there's the value delta, right? The value delta is if you're buying it less than the replacement cost, um, and then you're converting it to a different asset class. That's the that's the value add. You, when you you know, and we're these are nasty buildings. You, when you walk in, if you're a house flipper and you walk into a house and it smells like cat pee, that smells like money, <laughs> right? It smells like you're about to get a really good deal on it. And because right. my partners are the GCs and we're we're the contractors, these empty buildings have been sitting empty for 10, 12, 15 years. There's very little appetite for big box retail because Amazon has wiped out that space. And so we buy the buildings for super cheap and then we convert them, meaning we change the old electric to LED. We sometimes put in a floor system. If we need to, we make sure the roof is good. We put the ACs in, we paint the exterior of the building. Sometimes we'll cut a hole and put a drive aisle right through the middle of the building. And then we fill it up with five or 600 or 700 climate controlled self-storage units inside the building. The building is climate controlled, right? So we're just putting the metal boxes on the inside. We have touchscreen kiosks and QR codes. We can have one person manage the building. And all of a sudden, that square footage is valued by a completely different formula, right? So it, it, that's 
when we buy it, it's what's somebody willing to pay for this big, nasty brick building that's been in the middle of this little town for empty for, you know, people drove there to get their stuff out of it for 20 or 30 years, but now it's been sitting empty for the last 10 years. Well, the location didn't change. So it makes it a great location with good residential density for those same people to sometimes bring that same stuff back to the same location and pay to put it in there. And it changes the formula by which you value the asset. And when you're buying it for less than replacement cost, and then you're significantly 2.5 or 3x the value by converting it to a different asset class, it puts you in a very unique situation. Unique situation is if we're all in on a project and say we're all in on some of these for four, five, six million dollars, and they're worth 12, 15, 17 million dollars stabilized. Now I want to make sure that like it that's got to be full, right? So typically it takes us a yeah. year to build it out, a year to fill it up. But the Kmart that we just opened in Danville, Virginia, we bought, we're all in on that project for five million, bought it for two and a half, put two and a half into it or so. We opened it five weeks ago and at opening, the bank wanted to do an appraisal. It appraised for 9.1 million empty. Uh, and they put a valuation on it stabilized, which will take us about a year of 13.1, which puts a five wow. year, seven year, 10 year on it of 15 to 17 million. And when we're into projects for that little amount, it puts us in a very unique situation. That unique situation is we don't usually have to sell the asset. So we, a lot of these projects, we land around 30 to 35% LTV at the final valuation, which means we can refinance it to, we don't have to stress the asset. We can refinance to 60 or 65% LTV. We can pay out all of our investors, pay off the original loan, pay out the investors. By the way, when you pay people out by way of refinance, that's non-taxable income. It's a non-taxable event. It's not a, it's not a capital capital gain there. So we can pay our, our investors by way of refinance. And the asset is still only stressed to 60 or 65% LTV. We can hold it. It continues to cash flow in perpetuity. That's how you escape having a job trading time for money, right? We're building up an asset that we can generate tremendous value add by an asset class conversion, realize capital back out of the project to have a payday for ourselves and our investors because everybody's got to keep the lights on. But then one thing that's unique is we don't buy our investors out. We let them stay in the project and continue to cash flow in perpetuity. Because really, and Jim, you and I had a discussion about this in Salt Lake, is when you're investing in a syndication deal or any kind of investment, but specifically an investment where you don't have to put your time in, right? For You have to have time, experience, and money to have success with any real estate investment. And the one thing I love about syndication, both as an investor and a limited partner and as a general partner, is that um, you can invest your capital and other people are using their time and experience. And when you invest in a deal, you're buying days off, right? You're buying days off that you have to yes. go to work for the rest of your life. And if you buy enough of them, you don't ever have to go back to work. And that's the value of an asset class that's not five years and then you're going to sell it and then you got to do another one. You still want to get your money out at five years and that's certainly what we account for. But then after that, our our goal, our core value is try to build up assets that we can keep with a small tribe of investors and get your time back. Hi, this is Zach Hapenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. 
At Rise48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you. Visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single holistic dashboard. From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return, Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents, and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money. Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at Pfizer.co. Yeah, I, I love that buying days off. That really uh, that really made made a mark on me. But also the, the way you're talking about this, is you talk about velocity of money, right? Well, so if I invest a dollar in your deal and then you give me that dollar back two or three years later, and then I cash flow that asset for a long time, and I take that dollar and go invest it in another deal, and then repeat the process, every time your same dollars are, are getting you in deals, and then they're creating multiple income streams. And that is velocity of money. And so is that part of the, that, that's part of the business plan, correct? When, when you do this, is that you're trying to recycle the same dollars and, and get people into multiple assets that keep, keep paying you. Absolutely. And it's, and it's a little bit better than that, actually, because the value add is so significant that essentially what we're doing is our goal it has in the past and the market is tightening up and interest rates are up a little bit. That having been said, banks typically give lower interest rates for storage because they consider it to be a self a very safe asset class. But through our preferred return and through our cash flow and then an at or before five year event, what we are trying to do is double your money or come close to it in five years. So five years, you get your initial investment back plus another large lump sum. Starting you starting at the end of year two, you're getting a preferred return and then you're getting cash flow. You get preferred return from day one, but obviously the first year we're building up the property, there's no cash flow. Year two, we're filling up the property, there's no cash flow. As soon as the money comes in, we pay the back owed preferred return to our investors. From there, year three, four, and five, you're getting cash flow. But at year five, at or before year five, we're refinancing the property in most situations. You get back all your initial investment plus another large lump sum, which that plus your cash flow and your preferred return. We're trying to double your money in five years, which is aggressive, but because yeah. of the value add, we can do that. From that point on, we've doubled your money. We think there's probably a really good chance you're going to invest with us in another deal or another fund, right? Especially if year six through 10, you're continuing to get cash flow moving forward. Right. Eventually, some offer may come in that it's irresponsible for us not to take it. But our idea is we're trying to shift more and more to what we call legacy projects. And that's one where we double your money in five years or less or as close to it as we possibly can, considering the market at the time. And then mm -hmm. you hold your same percentage of equity in perpetuity. You can put it into a trust. You can give it to your kids. You can do whatever you want. But you're exactly right. That money that you just invested, you're off somewhere else with it. Hopefully another deal with us. But if not, go invest in ATMs or, or whatever it may be. That's still working in the background. It, it's in the name, right? Yeah. Our name is, 
is Nomad Capital. So the founders of Nomad are my two partners, Eric and Levi Hemingway. And it's a father-son team. And Eric and his wife and their five kids lived on a sailboat for three and a half years. It was paid for by a self-storage facility that they built previously. And they they left with five kids, came back with six. It was a great trip. So <laughs> the, at the end of the day, they they developed a passion for being able to live a nomadic lifestyle that's supported by a real estate portfolio. And we have two other general partners in the, and a large team, but at least all of us general partners at one point have lived a nomadic lifestyle. And so that's a passion that we have. So the, the name Nomad Capital is our goal is to create what we think of as real estate nomads. And those are people that go where they want, when they want, and they do what they want because they have a lifestyle that can be supported by a real estate portfolio that they built. And you don't get there by killing the golden goose. We look at these assets right. with this kind of value add. These are golden geese. We don't want to kill them. We want to live off the eggs. So the way that we do that is trying to shift as much as possible to a portfolio that's going to have a long-term vision, still give people some short-term gains, uh, especially that are hopefully non-taxable, but have a long-term vision of, of giving people that potential to have a nomadic lifestyle. And that may not be for you, but I think in the investment investor space, um, financial freedom is a buzzword, right? Financial independence, you know, let's get, you know, it's just, it's become something that's co-opted by a large group of people. And the reality is in my humble opinion, and I, on a small scale, I have achieved it. I left my medical sales job in 2022. I'm a full-time investor now. I absolutely love it. I'm an LP investor and a general uh, a general partner because I've got retirement funds. I'm not allowed to invest them in our deals. So I use those retirement funds and I invest as an LP into other people's deals, which is one of the reasons I love learning from your community. But the idea is um, financial independence by itself is shallow, in my opinion, unless it comes with location independence and time independence. But location, yes. time, and financial independence together create uh, – an independence of purpose that allows people to do whatever they want with their life and spend your time. However, if it's your you know charity or church or skiing or building or travel or raising your kids, whatever it may be, but that, you know, financial independence by itself. But if you're locked in one location and you have to spend so much time in front of a screen every day, that's not a nomad, right? So that's right. anyway, that's the core value that we try to keep the same yeah. way that you've developed an amazing culture with left field. That's our culture. That's our core value. And we try to put that ahead of, of everything else. And I, I love that because, you know, I, I think you're right. Financial independence, it, it means so many different things to so many people. And to me, initially, it was that exactly that having the the independence from a job or that to, to be financially free right but it doesn't mean anything if you're not using it appropriately so i love throwing that that it's you know time freedom location freedom i think those those are what makes financial freedom actually make make sense um and and you mentioned you're you're an lp investor as well so i want to kind of We'll pivot real quick because you had mentioned for your deals, like in the Nomad deals, there's no expectation of cash flow in the first couple of years. And for some of our community, that's that's like a hard that's a hard no almost. Like, well, if I'm not yep. getting distributions in the first couple of years, I'm out. Now, the rest of your deal is so compelling that that I as I imagine many people, you know, 
put that to so- aside for, for this, but can you just talk about the, as an LP from, from that perspective, how you feel about getting into a deal and not seeing anything for a couple of years? Cause it's more like a development deal, right? It is a development deal because you're buying the property and completely right. fixing it up. So how does that fit into an overall LP's portfolio? So it's funny you mentioned this. One of our investors yesterday was acting as a reference to talk to uh, somebody else that that has connected with us recently, actually through through the left field investors, the the lunch and learn that we did. But uh, his question was the same thing, and it was like, you know, this doesn't really fit in. I'm looking for immediate cash flow, and in that situation, my response is, well, then we're not right for you, and that's okay because my job is not to sell our deals on anybody is to just let people know what we're doing. And if it's a good fit, that's great. And, but you're looking to interview us and partner with us the same way we're potentially looking to do the same thing with the investors, because we're talking about a long-term relationship here, right? Not three, five, seven years or whatever. So from that standpoint, I would say that if you're looking for immediate cash flow, don't invest. And, and, you know, there's certainly potential. We, when I come out with an offer memorandum, we're ahead of schedule with a couple of our properties that are about to start putting out preferred returns. I'm never going to tell you that with any deal that we look at. If, if whatever the date is on it, like you should plan for five years before you're getting, you know, this date to get preferred return starts, this date cash flow starts, this date you're getting your cash back. And if that doesn't fit in with your goals, don't do it and, and, and look for someplace else because there's a lot of options out there. Um, I would also say this, uh, typically the kind of returns that you're getting and certainly that we are offering, we feel is taking that into account. We are trying to offer some very compelling returns that have potential to be tax-free coming by way of refinance. And then in the situation where most people are buying out your uh, your interests, and it goes back to the general partners, our whole goal is we're willing to leave a little bit on the table to leave our investors in on the deal. So if you have a two or five year timeline for what you're doing, we are probably not the right fit for you. And that is fine because there's a lot of people out there that aren't thinking about it that way, right? So if you're if you're that close to financial and location and time independence and cash flow, immediate cash flow or within the next two years is making the difference for, for you, that's amazing. I am unbelievably happy for you. You should tell everybody how you did it. You should bring as many people along with you as you can, and you should not invest with Nomad. That's that's the reality. If your timeline is longer than that, then I think whatever your timeline is, let's say it's 20 years. Okay. How many deals can you do over a 20-year period with the capital that you currently have? And if you don't take any money out and you just put it in, at the end of 20 years, what's it worth? And then do the same thing with a deal where the operator leaves you in with your percentage of equity. Obviously, at a refi, you reset the debt basis. But if yep. that, if you've doubled that money and you take that and you go invest it into another deal or with another operator, that little piece of equity that you still hold there is a third or second or third income stream for your household. Right. Let's say you or your spouse or your partner are both getting up and going to work every day or you're by yourself what's that worth over 20 years? And and I can't answer that for, for you. And, and maybe it's maybe it's not 20 years. You know, whatever your timeline is, whatever your capital is, I would say um, work the numbers backwards. Pick your destination, your goal in terms of time, in terms of income, in co- terms of financial location independence, and then work it backwards and say, okay, well, 
you know, maybe doing 15 deals with other syndicators sounds better on paper, but if every time you're in a deal, they're going to sell it, okay, well, now you got to go trade more time for more money and do it again versus doing 10 deals with somebody who leaves you in the deal. What's that worth 20 years from now? And if that's right. not your timeline, it's, it's, it's probably not the right fit. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. So then again, as, as an LP, one of the most critical things that we do, and I ask this almost every podcast, I think, is, you know, how do you vet a sponsor? And and so the question I'd like to I'd like to shift it a little bit for you, because you are an LP and a GP. So you can you get to see both ends. But how do you vet a sponsor like Nomad, meaning it's kind of a development deal, but it, it's also it, it sees it, it's not a ground up development deal because you have that shell of a building. So there's the chance of success seems higher than normal development. So what are the differences or what questions should we ask somebody like you? And, and just just kind of in general, how do you vet a sponsor like that? Well, when I'm looking at the way that I, I've learned to vet other sponsors that I am looking to invest with is the same way that we've tried to emulate what we're doing with Nomad uh, in terms of let's look, we're, we're real estate investors too, right? Let's give the investors what they want. And it's the same thing that we want. So number one is, uh, the communication is probably most important to me. I want to know how often are they communicating? What is it monthly? I want to know what the monthly updates look like. I want to see, um, some examples and I want to see examples of good news and bad news. And I want to see how it's been presented. And I want to see the timeline in which it was presented. Did they wait to the last minute to figure out there was a problem? Uh, and so that the communication is really important to me on top of that. Um, I'm taking, I've got a little bit of inside look of how this works. I want to know if they're vertically integrated. So we're, we're finding our properties. We're raising capital in-house. Um, so we're building them out ourselves. Eric and Levi are, you know, 26 years of commercial construction experience. So we're building, we build at cost plus 12%, which you can't get anywhere else. And we have in-house property management because Eric also owns four sale storage facilities himself before Nomad. Uh, and then all the Nomad properties get managed the same way. So I want to know, are they paying to find the, the deals? Are they paying to raise capital? Are they paying retail price for construction? Are they outsourcing property management? Because those are all pieces of the puzzle that the operator can't control. And so if the market goes up or down, it can squeeze things a little bit. I want to know what the margins are in terms of what percentage is the LP and what's the GP. And I'm in a little bit of a unique boat here because our margins are typically different than most people. I like it when it's a little bit larger. I'm, I'm watching people right now in the marketplace get a little bit compressed in the percentage owned by the GP. That's a little bit scary to me because if the market shifts a little bit, the cap rate adjusts a little bit, as it will do with interest rates, there's not a lot of meat left on the bone. And if the GP gets squeezed down or out, there's not a lot of motivation for them to try to operate the deal at a high level. So I like to see a pretty healthy split there and make sure that there's there's plenty of margin in the deal and that... Um, there is room for the the GPs to make sure that the LPs are taken care of no matter what. Okay. And, and I think a lot of that comes, I want to know what their long-term vision is, their long-term goal. Are they trying to do this for a couple years and go buy a yacht? 
or, or what's, <laughs> what's the vision, right? Like our, we had yeah. a, a two year goal, uh, from, and obviously it was about a year of legal work leading up to us actually starting our two year goal is a hundred million dollars of stabilized assets under management. Stabilized means built out full, when they're built out, when they're full, that's what the appraised value is going to be. We hit that with our last close about four weeks ago. So we're a couple months ahead of schedule. We got a five year wow. goal of 500 million stabilized assets under management and a 10 year goal of a billion. And we want to bring as many people along with us as we can. We're 506B syndication for a reason. It's really hard to grow to that size and stay a 506B. But those are our people. The, the group of people that we started with are non-accredited investors for the most part. We can take accredited investors too. But our goal and our core belief is – and so 92% of the capital in the world is held by non-accredited investors – that is who needs opportunities like this. The rich get richer, right? That This opportunity is best we can needs to stay open to that group of people. And we can usually do that because our, our raises are so small. Like we're buying these buildings for so cheap. You can't raise money for a 40 or 60 or $80 million apartment complex with 506B. Can't be done. Um, you have to be able to generally solicit and, and have more than 35 non-accredited investors. But we're only raising two to $3 million. So it, it, we can do that. And our average deal has 12 to 15. I think our biggest deal right now has 17 investors in it. They're getting a little bit bigger, so that's going to continue to grow, but we can do that and keep those, those investors in. Um, so I, anyway, I'm getting off the point. I want to know what that <laughs> operator's long-term goal is. I want to know how they communicate. I want to know what their relationship is. I want to know what their margins are. And I want to know, are they vertically integrated? Are they able to control costs in-house by doing the construction, by raising the capital and doing the management? And then uh, I really, really right now, I want to know if they're using any variable rate debt. Variable rate debt is, yeah. is terrifying right now. Neil Bawa is you know, the data specialist who was speaking at the Best Ever Conference this year, and he said that 25% of operators right now are probably out of the business by the end of 2025. And he said that's what everybody should do that's operating in the space is survive till 2025. And the reality right. is, I, I think that he was speaking to 80% of the room, which are multifamily uh, operators. And that variable rate debt is terrifying to me. Anybody using bridge debt to get into a property or, or refinance it or just maturing variable rate debt um, is something that's that's scary to me. Luckily, um, we don't have to, uh, this, our projects are so small that we don't have, we don't use any variable rate debt and we won't. But Remember, I'm an LP investor too, and most of the people that are out there do use it. So that's yep. one question that always comes up for me that I want to know, and I want to know how much and for how long. And does it have a cap? This, 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 is, this is fantastic information. I think we could spend a whole other podcast talking about accredited, non-accredited, and, and the debt stuff that you said. But I just want to highlight, you know, vertical integration. I, I love how you you categorize that as for a cost control. And then the non-accredited investors, you know, left field investors, we also have a passion for, you know, making sure that there are opportunities for non-accredited because just because you don't have a million dollars doesn't mean that you don't want to invest this way. So I, I love all that. That's why there's so many synergies between our two groups. Um, we are past time, unfortunately. So we'll definitely have to do this again. But the last question I always ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to it cannot be the truly passive income podcast that's already going in the show notes so give us another one if you can listen to my wife has to listen to me long enough she wouldn't listen let me listen to that one in our house if i wanted to but 
so I've always got, I have a love and passion for bigger pockets because it's what pushed me. It made me realize what I was doing for so long was so wrong. Um, but right yeah. now, um, I've just recently since Salt Lake started listening to the Left Field podcast. So y'all are doing a great job. Thanks for that. And on top of well, that, uh, AJ Osborne's self storage income podcast. He's also doing some pretty large conversions. I would say this, his market out West is wildly different than ours. Uh, we're in the Southeast in kind of the sunshine growing band of population growth. Um, but that that's something that I also get a lot out of in terms of his running, uh, underwriting and things like that. So AJ Osborne, self-storage income, that's, that's a great one. Excellent. Thank you very much. And then if our listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about Nomad, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is remember we're 506B. We're not advertising our deals anywhere. We can't. It's friends and family only, but we would love the opportunity to connect with anybody. The best way to do that is just email me directly at Clint, C-L-I-N-T, at nomadcapital.us. Or else you can go to our website, which is just nomadcapital.us. And if you click the connect with us button, it gives you an opportunity to, to schedule a Calendly call. And it goes to me or my partner, Neil Henderson. We do investor relations and capital raising. And we talk to all, investors all day, every day, not just about our deals, but about their deals and what they're doing too. So always happy to connect with anybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am thrilled that we met in Utah and I know we'll see each other again, hopefully in October in the uh, meetup in the left field in Columbus. And then again, hopefully in Utah next year. But thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure. I, I look forward to it. Thanks, Jim, so much. And for what you guys are doing in your community. I, I'm extremely grateful. Thank you. I had a great time talking with Clint today. Uh, we really connected in Salt Lake at the Best Ever Conference, and and they're, they're gonna they're gonna become a pretty a pretty good partner of LFI, I think. Um, I, a lot of the stuff he said, you know, he he was he's planning ahead. He's a thinker, so he was um, he was in a demanding W two job, and he knew that that wasn't gonna last forever. That he wasn't, you know, he was happy to stay there as long as he liked it. But he thought ahead. He thought ahead to the exit, and that's really what you need to do. You need to be thinking, hey, I can't just quit my job tomorrow I have to prepare for it if I and part of this whole left field investor past investing thing is preparing for the eventuality that maybe you will want to but you don't have to it just gives you options and so I, I respect that of him he was thinking way ahead of hey I want to have as many options as I can when the time comes and it came and now now he's doing great and some of the things that he said can't save your way to retirement I could not agree with that more maybe that was possible you know back in the day like like he said but you just can't do it anymore you have to do something differently and and for me passive real estate is it and for many of you that's the same it could be owning your own business but you know just saving money and putting it in your 401k is not enough anymore there has to be something else and that's why we have this community and then he also was talking about how he's using the knowledge of experienced investors to help him figure out next steps. And that is the power of community, right? And what we do at Left Field, we use the knowledge of the most experienced, and we also use the knowledge of those who don't have experience because they come up with the best questions sometimes, or even the best answers and ideas, and everybody in between. And that is, again, the power of community. And one thing that really hit me when you said it in Salt Lake was buying days off, and you mentioned it again here today. And that I, I love that that the more cash flow you have, the more days off you're buying, which hastens your retirement if that's what you want, or hastens getting out of the W-2, reducing the W-2. We talk about ditching the W-2, but some people like the W-2, so that's fine. So you want those options. And this wasn't reverse sales. I know that because I know Clint, but I love it when an operator says, you know, we're just not right for you. 
So if you want, if you absolutely need cash flow in the first couple of years and you get on the phone with Nomad, Clint's going to tell you we're, we're not for you. He might tell you some of the reasons that maybe they could be for you and maybe that, you know, you don't need immediate cash flow or, or maybe that's not as important as you think in certain situations. But he's fine to say, look, we are not a fit for you. And I love that in an operator. I would prefer that than them trying to spin themselves in knots, trying to figure out why we are a fit because they're so desperate for capital. Nomad is not desperate for capital, and that is a good thing. And then their passion is you know, supporting non-accredited investors, and that's something that is very important to LFI as well. We have a community for non-accredited investors, and we're trying to find ways to help people become accredited because that's where it's easier if you're accredited. You just have more opportunities. And so to partner with an operator like Nomad who is passionate about helping out the non-accredited, it would probably be easier for them to just go, hey, we're going to do accredited now and be able to advertise and do all that stuff. But they're staying true to their mission and their culture. And again, that's why they're a great match for LFI. So really pleased to have Clint on. We'll certainly be uh, hearing more from him. I had to cut that short because we had so much good content and you know, trying to keep these, uh, these episodes manageable. So we'll definitely have him on again. But that's all we have for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast would be appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.